0: Let me go ahead and introduce um, Paul Stiver, and uh, so uh, a lot of you know Paul. Look at this—we can get so fancy; we can do stuff like this. So, uh, again, you guys know you guys know Paul, and uh, he's going to actually going to be able to to preach this morning live um, via this cool technology. So, I'm 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 actually doing a Skype call simultaneously with him, and then I'm able to do this cool thing. And so um, anyways, Paul, uh welcome and glad you're able to uh to serve this way. So uh without further ado, Paul, I'm gonna let you uh let you preach the word, man. Thanks for being here. Great. All right, I'm gonna mute Brian. There we go. Uh good morning, hope, Lower Town, anyone visiting us online. Allison sit next to me. Are we good? Oh my God. All right. Uh, welcome. If you're visiting us, just checking us out, or anyone watching online from the future—that was that's my joke. Uh, <clears throat> we're so glad to have you with us this morning. As Brian mentioned, uh, my name's Paul Stiver. I'm a third-year intern with Hope Community, and I'm also an elder in training alongside Josh Jaramola here at Hope Lower Town. Uh, in case you can't tell, I'm not shooting a, a YouTube tutorial video. I'm Here on the front porch of the house I share uh, in St. Paul with my wife Allison and our dog Sage. Uh, It is my absolute joy and privilege to to speak to you. The green dot on on the camera that represents you as we close out our sermon series looking through uh, the book of Job and the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. So in this series, just to recap, we've already discussed the life of Job, his suffering, the counseling he received from his friends, uh, Job's restoration and the bigness of God, God's sovereignty over Job's circumstances. We've looked at, we've also looked at who Satan is, and last week we considered the problem of evil. How do we make sense of the evil in our world? Those messages are available here on our Facebook page, as well as hopecc.com/messages, and you can also find our podcast there. Here we are. We've come to the finish line of another sermon series I hope, and to kick things off, I've got to tell you about a different finish line in my life. Uh, so I I am prestige. I can honestly say that I have run a marathon, a full marathon without training. Uh, yeah, you heard me right. Uh, in my great wisdom, I decided it would be a good idea to run an entire marathon without doing any training ahead of time. And in case you are wondering, The answer is yes, you should train before you run a marathon. Uh, For a little background, marathons are terrible. Don't run them. They never end. Uh, I've run three now. I'm officially retired. I ran this particular marathon while I was still dating my wife, Allison. Uh, A family member had to drop out of the race. So about one week in advance, I said, why don't I just run it with you? Uh, Regret. What followed was 26.2 miles of, Of self-imposed suffering. Uh, I bring that up to say this life is a marathon not a sprint and as human beings running that marathon we will inevitably face suffering. As we've seen in this sermon series the question is not if we will suffer but how will we respond when that suffering comes. The question we consider in today's sermon is not if those around us will suffer but how can we respond to care for those who are suffering when it comes upon them. As we get situated, go ahead and grab a Bible if you got one handy. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53, which is almost smack dab in the middle of the Old Testament. That's right in between Song of Solomon and Jeremiah. Uh, Or if you're following along online, you want to find the, well you are, but you want to find the scripture passages and sermon slides, those links are available in the description. So we're going to look at three things today. First, we will see how Jesus is the suffering servant that we need. Second, we will examine how Jesus is the suffering servant that those we are caring for need. Finally, we will consider how we get to be servants to one another in the midst of suffering. Isaiah 53 reads, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. The way that we care for those who are suffering will inevitably be influenced by the way that we think about suffering. There are many ways that in the history of the world people have thought about human suffering. Suffering wouldn't happen if you just live differently, fall in line with the moral order, and you won't suffer. Other worldviews might say you are captivated by your desires, and so just lose those desires and you won't suffer. In other words, you won't suffer if you just think differently. Others still might say, since suffering is an inevitable, you should just embrace it. In this view, the person who most embraces the reality of suffering is the one who faces life correctly. Still, others might say, look to the future. It won't always be this way. Finally, others might see suffering in this world and have no category for it. Suffering is an evil hiccup. It is an accident. There's no redemptive purpose. We are just helpless cogs in a cruel machine. We've seen these kind of responses in our series from Job's friends when he was in the midst of suffering. They accused him, challenged him, exhorted him. They said, you must not have lived correctly. Are you sure you're thinking about this correctly? Have we heard these things? Look to the future. Toughen up. Snap out of it. Think about all the other blessings and good things in your life. At least you don't have it as bad as that person. You must have brought this upon yourself. God must be punishing you. Have we told ourselves these things? This is where our passage changes everything about how we think about suffering. Isaiah chapter 53 is written in the midst of of the Israelites. God's beloved people sitting in the ashes, the furnace of suffering. Israel is in exile. They're separated from God in the life they once knew on account of their rebellion. It can't get much worse. They feel abandoned, hopeless. However, in this passage, God is showing us their suffering will not have the final say because he will act on their behalf. He will bring comfort. These words from Isaiah, often called the servant song burst through our eardrums with two themes one acknowledgement of the reality of sin and two, hope in the midst of suffering let's consider the suffering of this servant in isaiah 53 and then let's consider what that means for us these are the ways that this servant is described despised rejected a man of suffering familiar with pain another Translation says, acquainted with grief. This man's friends are grief and pain. He's held in low esteem. He's considered punished by God, stricken, afflicted, crushed, oppressed, cut off, judged. Could there be a more miserable existence? This man has lost everything and felt every ounce of pain imaginable. And why was this servant described this way? Why did he face this misery? Isaiah tells us in verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. There is so much sin and brokenness and suffering in this world. People have so rejected God and his good ways, that miraculous, divine, An undeserved intervention is needed. Things are as bad as they can be. That's the bad news. And here in Isaiah, we see the good news is this. Despite our rebellion, God graciously intervenes. The suffering servant is also the righteous servant, Jesus Christ, the one who is crushed for our sins. Jesus bears our pain and takes upon himself the punishment we deserve. He suffers in our place so that we can see the light of life and be satisfied. Therefore, we have hope. This is where Christianity offers the most unique, hopeful, and coherent view of suffering. And it is this. God enters into our suffering. The in-control, sovereign, immeasurably powerful creator and sustainer of all things writes himself into the story in the person of Jesus Christ, this is where the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh, living a perfect life, going to the cross to pay the penalty for sinners, transcends all other worldviews and its understanding and transformation of human suffering. Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, describes it this way. Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound, nailed, so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you, that is being cast away from God. He took that so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. This is the transcendent reality of Christian suffering. Now we can sit in the depths of human suffering in this world and know things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And we can trust God in the midst of that suffering. This world is broken. It's full of suffering. Yet we know that because Jesus has suffered in our place, when we face suffering, it isn't because God is punishing us. And the same for those we care about. Christ has absorbed our punishment. This is the gospel. Jesus saves sinners. When you put your faith in Jesus, in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, your status with God changes. No more debt. God has nothing on you anymore except blessing and fatherly discipline. So Jesus is our suffering servant. He has suffered in our place for our sins so that our relationship with God and our relationship with suffering in this life can be fundamentally changed. Jesus justifies us. We get his righteousness. We are acceptable because of him. On the cross, he gets what we deserve, and through our faith in him, we get to share in the glory that he deserves. And therefore, our thinking about suffering is fundamentally changed, which means that no one is better equipped to care for a hurting person or a hurting world than someone who has been transformed by the grace of Jesus. And just as an aside, when we're talking about suffering, one way to think about it is a dimmer switch or a volume button. There are different moments and and things that happen to us and those we care for that might be at a lower volume. That doesn't mean they're not suffering. And then, of course, there are hard things where the volume is so loud. It's all we can think about, all we can hear. But we don't need to dismiss small things and say only big things are true suffering. We can hold both realities in tension because we've been transformed by the grace of God. Yes, suffering is overwhelming and hard, often unfair and immeasurably painful. And my suffering, our suffering, can't mean that God doesn't love me, doesn't love us. I can look at the cross And the resurrection of Jesus, and see the confirmation. God is love, and suffering has an expiration date. I have hope because God entered into my suffering and went to the cross for my sin. This life and this pain is not all there is. Suffering isn't an evil hiccup or something I just need to accept or something God doesn't care about. Suffering is a reality. But suffering is a reality that God transcends in Jesus. And when we have Christ, we can overcome the world through our faith because Christ has served us in his suffering. So this fundamental change about our our thinking about suffering changes the way that we act, changes the way we care for others. We know that those who are suffering need Jesus and the peace and comfort that he alone brings. So we want to do our best to take their hand and put it in his In order to do this, we must be connected to the life of Jesus by grace in order to truly care for those among us who are suffering. And here we get to our second point. We care for others because God first cared for us. The classic illustration for considering this point is is an airplane oxygen mask. You know, when we get on a plane and and they're giving the safety pitch and we hear in the event of a crash, secure your oxygen mask first before helping others. In the same way, we need to be connected to the life of Jesus first in order to best care for others. In the gospel, according to Mark, as soon as Jesus is recognized by his disciples as the one God has sent to redeem sinners, the Messiah, he immediately begins teaching them that he must suffer. He must go to the cross. Not soon after, the disciples begin questioning who among them is the greatest. And then James and John in Mark 10, I ask Jesus that they may sit on his right and his left hand when he enters his glory. They want the glory. And fittingly, Jesus tells them that they will join him in drinking the cup that he drinks. However, it is not the cup of glory that comes first, but the cup of suffering. In his response to them, Jesus clarifies his mission and defines what true greatness is by saying this. Jesus came to serve. In this passage, Jesus calls us to unite our destiny with his. We are in this world to give our lives as servants to others. This is what makes us truly great. This is where we take our thinking about suffering and put it into real action. For example, one of the things we know about suffering is that suffering is overwhelming. There are moments and seasons of suffering that go beyond our ability and capacity to handle Many of us can speak to this. Now, our experience of the grace of Christ then changes everything about how we care for for the suffering. We are connected to the life of the servant Savior, the one who joined us in the ash heap of suffering and mourning. Because we worship and serve Jesus, we can now stoop low and sit in the ashes of suffering with our brothers and sisters and say, This is terrible. This is overwhelming. This is more than you can bear on your own, and I am going to sit here with you and listen to you and care for you, and when you are ready, I am going to remind you over and over that Jesus is our comfort and this world is not our hope. We can only give away what we have. The more we understand how much Jesus cares for us, the more we can care for others with similar love, tenderness, and grace. And just as an aside this this applies to us receiving care as well. I think sometimes we feel like it, it's weakness to accept care. I want to contend that it takes great strength to admit that we need help. It takes humility to admit that things are hard. When we care for others the way Jesus has cared for us. one of the great descriptions of love and care of the love and care of God comes from just before our passage. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. In this, God gives us an illustration of motherly care. Imagine the the love, the compassion, the tenderness, the nourishment that comes from a mother. God gives us this as a lesser to greater understanding for us to see just how much he cares for us. And just as a side note, we have great moms at Hope Lowertown. And moms, you are pictures of God's love and care. He uses this illustration so that we get to see God's care up front, God's tenderness when we know him like this, and how he's bringing us through many storms and growth spurts and the scraped knees of this life. And we get to use that experience of his grace to serve others and care for them. We care for others because God first cared for us. We care for others because God currently cares for us. Which brings us to our last consideration. And What ways do we care for the suffering? We've already thought about how to, how to suffer and how to think about it. We've thought about entering in when God's caring for us, we care for others. And, and finally, we get to be servants of one another in suffering. The Christian life is a life of response to what God has done. We aren't earning our status with God, we are living out our status with God. So in response to God's grace, Romans 12:15 says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. It is remarkable how grace causes us to love. We no longer need to feel inadequate or compare ourselves to others when they are rejoicing. We can simply join them in the success of their in the joy of their success or their accomplishment or their blessing from God. But even more relevant for our passage and our consideration today, we can also weep with those who weep. Grace levels the playing field so that we don't gloat or exult over a suffering person. We enter into their pain the way Christ enters into ours. Because of this call to love genuinely, we can seek to empathize with the pain someone is going through, even when we don't understand it. For example, we don't need people to justify or prove their pain to us. We can believe them and we can listen because what people need most in the deepest pits of suffering is most often emotional support. So let's consider five practical ways we can care for others as Jesus has cared for us. First, ministry of presence. Just sitting there, just being present with someone, sometimes in suffering. All people need is to just Have someone sitting with them. This is what Job's friends got right at the start of uh, their conversation with Job. They just sat with him. Another thing we can do is reach out in small, noticeable ways, things that are meaningful. We get the opportunity to remind people that they matter, that what they're going through is real, that people are thinking about them. How fitting sometimes is it, simply hear the phrase that sounds really hard or I'm so sorry that happened providing a meal a card a thoughtful gift can remind people that they are loved and not alone we also have to consider people have differences in grieving style people grieve differently so we can hold off on our stories about times that we've grieved or losses that we've experienced we can give them space to be angry, depressed, frustrated, confused. They are in pain. They don't need how-tos. They need support. Yes, we we work to remind them of the gospel and inspire hope in them, but we take time to do that. Another way we practically care for others is to remember we can't fix this person. This is a great joy of resting in Christ. We don't have to be the savior. I know for me, I can tend to want to fix everything. I want to offer solutions. Here's how I've done it. Here's how you fix it. And immediately, I've become one of Job's friends. I've minimized their pain. When someone is suffering, they've almost always considered the suggestion you were going to make. And lastly, this is a group effort. We don't care for people alone. We do it in community. Look at the way we responded to care for Project Home Day Center. I was telling Brian we get a front row seat to the work of God in that. God showing up through the hands and feet of the people of Lower Town. We care for others who are suffering and we do it in community. And we need support too, we need to process, we need people to pray for us. And finally, in this unique season, there are two ways that hope can come alongside you if you are suffering. The first is on our website. Go to our website and you can find links that say, I need help. I need prayer. I can help. If you need help in this season, go there. And we also have our uh, Restoring Hope Biblical Counseling Ministry. If that is in need, you can email restoringhope at hopecc.com. We move toward these practical steps of care because God has first cared for us and because God currently cares for us. We need Jesus. Those we care for need Jesus. And ultimately, in caring for the suffering, we point people to the hope that they only can find in him. We care for the suffering because Jesus does. Jesus is our comfort. Jesus is our power. Jesus is our hope. The other thing that sets Christianity apart is is our view that suffering has an expiration date. That God has told us the end of the story, and it is glorious. And one day, we, like toddlers who have scraped our knee on the sidewalk of this world, and and come snot-bubbling and sobbing to Jesus, saying, This world has been so hard. He will bend his sovereign knee and say, I know. It's all better now. On that day, Jesus will stick his thumbs into our eyes and wipe away every tear and pain and agony that we've ever felt in a moment. And we will spend eternity in ever-increasing bliss with him where sin and injustice, pain and sorrow, death and suffering are not allowed. And we know this is coming because of the cross and because of his resurrection. In conclusion, as we move toward a time of communion and reflection, I want to remind you that life is a marathon. And like a marathon, there are times in life that are overwhelming. Like a runner in a marathon, we will sometimes come across people that are beaten down, broken, hurting, lost, and in immense pain. Sometimes we will be those people. But Jesus has changed everything for us so that we no longer run past them in competition. We stop running, we bend down, we take their hand in our hand and we put it around our shoulder, and we stand back up, bearing their weight in the strength of the Lord, and we help them walk. We walk together until they can run again, and they do the same for us. This is what it means to be in Christ. We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So as we close in gospel application, I just have two questions. The first one, are you connected to Christ? If you've tuned into this and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, do you see this view of suffering? Do you see Jesus entering into your pain, going to the cross for your sin? Today could be that day that you put your trust in him and start to have him as your hope. And if you are a follower of Jesus, Are you connected to Christ? Are you letting him care for you? Are you letting the body of Christ care for you through the word, through prayer, letting people be the hands and feet of Jesus in your life? And then lastly, are you caring for others as Christ has cared for you? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much that it was your will to send Jesus, the suffering servant, to bear our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We thank you that we have been served by Jesus in this way. And we praise you for that. And we pray that you would continue to help us by your spirit and the power that you alone provide to be those who care for others, the ways that Jesus cares for us and inspire hope in those around us to remember that suffering has an expiration date and that one day we will see Jesus face to face and we will forget all about the pains of this world because of the joy that we have in him so we pray this in his name amen